This is the MTA Podcast, episode 429. This podcast is brought to you by Sidekick. I use muscle scraping tools from Sidekick to work on my hips, hamstrings, and feet. They're must-haves in my injury prevention toolbox. I recommend the My Personal PT Bundle. To get that, go to sidekicktool.com MTA, and you can save 15% off. Thanks also to Oladance Open Earbuds. They have 360-degree superior sound, but they never enter the ear, so there's no ear fatigue, and you'll never lose track of what's happening around you. Visit Oladance.com and use the code MTA20 for 20% off. That's Oladance.com. Thanks to MetPro Nutrition Coaching for sponsoring the podcast. You can speak with a metabolic expert about your goals and get actionable steps towards fueling for performance, losing weight, adding muscle, or changing your body composition. Go to metpro.co forward slash MTA and get $500 off their concierge coaching. Hello and welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we reveal seven questions you can use to evaluate your training. Look at these questions like dials to adjust and fine tune your training and hit your goals in the marathon. And of course, if you want to get expert help from our coaches, you can learn how to become an Academy member or coaching client when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, so at the time of this recording, the New York City Marathon just wrapped up. Big congrats to all of you out there that ran it. Quick rundown, Angie, who were the winners this year? Well, the first place in the women's division was Helen Obiri of Kenya. She finished in 227.23, and so she was about six seconds ahead of the second-placed woman, so it was fairly close on the women's side of things. Helen Obiri also was first place in Boston this year. On the men's side of things, first place was Tamarit Tola of Ethiopia in 204.58. He set a new course record by eight seconds. I believe the old course record had stood since 2011. And he was nearly two minutes ahead of the second place man. So definitely a decisive win and exciting new course record for him. And for the wheelchair athletes, Marcel Hoog and Catherine de Bruner were the top athletes. Yeah, we also got some awesome uh, notes from folks in our community, uh, just everyday runners out there getting it done. Love to get some shout outs here. This is from Michelle who's a, a coaching client. That's right. She posts, OMG, I did it. I'm a marathoner and changed my life. I set out last December with the amazing Coach Lynn to take this journey on at age 60. She asked me what my goals were, and I said to finish. Coach Lynn figured me out and what I needed most, let go of pace and concentrate on heart rate. I have a really hard story of surviving a serious mental health condition. This was my proof of life. I wanted to participate as fully as I could, and I did. That's why I ran for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, New York City. What a journey, what a day, what a 26.2 miles, and I finished. Unbelievable. Love, Michelle. Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you for sharing that, Michelle. Congrats on running your first marathon, going the distance at age 60, and we're so glad we uh, were able to help you do that. That's what we're here for. It lights us up. We also want to say congrats to our client, Christina. Um, she got a PR at the New York City Marathon. She's been working with Coach Nicole. She writes, I'm still a little bit in shock about my performance at the New York City Marathon last weekend. It was a good reminder to me that we are stronger and more capable than we believe as long as we put in the work, trust our body, and focus on the positive. Love it. 
And this email comes from Sandy. She says, when I first started listening to MTA, I had no intention of ever running a marathon. Running half marathons was good enough. But after listening to the podcast for a few years, the seed was planted. Did I have what it takes? I started working with MTA coach Cindy in January of 2022 to get my love of running back and to train for another half. At the same time, I started working with coach Jesse at MetPro to help fuel the running and to lose the post-menopause pounds. Coach Cindy got me to the start line healthy and more prepared than I thought. With Jesse's help and encouragement, I towed the line 21 pounds lighter back to my pre-menopause weight. I was fit, ready, and smiling. Surprisingly, I was able to keep up with the pace most of the race and finish 20 minutes faster than I expected. Nice. I thought running a marathon was going to be a one and done for me, but I didn't hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Marine Corps Marathon was definitely a good first marathon. Thank you. And that comes from Sandy. Yeah, you listen to this podcast long enough, you'll be talked into running a full marathon. Listener be warned. (laughs) (laughs) And this comes from Haley from Ireland. She says, after finishing the Paris Marathon, my second marathon earlier this year, in three hours and 20 minutes, I felt I'd gone as far as I could on my own, so I decided to get in touch with MTA. Coach Nicole said she had the perfect coach in mind for me and paired me with Coach Chris. As Coach Chris and I started working together from a recovery period post-race, I found that incredibly helpful. I was unsure what a downtime period should look like. I didn't want to lose all my fitness, but equally didn't want to overtrain, so I could be in the best place to start the training block for my next goal race, the Dublin Marathon on October 29th, 2023. I had a really clear goal of running 315. I have a habit of signing up for too many events at all kinds of distances, but Coach Chris taught me the respect you need for a distance and being sure of your goals. If your goal is to improve your marathon time, be laser focused on that. It really helped me to start to take things a bit more seriously while still having fun. By the time the Dublin Marathon came around, I felt prepared and confident. Of course, marathons throw up all sorts of issues, but I enjoyed Dublin more than any race. Coach Chris said the goal was to feel good for as long as possible, and I truly felt amazing until mile 21 when the dig deep mode began (laughs) crossing the finish line in 313.51 i was so elated i sobbed thanks so much to my amazing coach chris and mta you do great things for people wow that is tremendous 313.51 super congrats Haley, on achieving that and she said so many things in the email there that um, i think we will get into on this episode because you know she really was able to evaluate her training and through the help of her coach, kind of fine tune it. But one last email, and this comes from Cameron from the UK, and this just put a huge smile on her face. Uh, he says, hi guys, I just wanted to say thank you. Your podcast dug me out of a very deep hole during the pandemic that nearly ruined my family. Your wonderful way of presenting guests and a back catalog of episodes accompanied me back on the road to recovery that I will always be grateful for. Toward the end of 31 years in the Royal Navy, I had the urge to run a marathon, though I had no real experience in serious running. In 2014, whilst posted in Singapore with my family, I drunkenly signed up for the Singapore Marathon. It took me nearly six hours, and I considered it a tick in the box of life never to be tried again. Roll forward to 2019 and leaving the Navy and start a new job at NATO headquarters in Brussels, the itch returned. I signed up for the 2020 Paris Marathon only for the pandemic to bring the world to a halt. Without going into any details, my own world also nearly came to a halt. But thanks to my amazing wife, Paula, I was able to be picked up, dusted down, and start training for the rescheduled Paris Marathon 18 months later. 
Your podcast built up my mood, knowledge, and desire perfectly with tips, inspirational stories, and down-to-earth output. I have since completed the Rotterdam, Cologne, and Milan marathons with the thought process of running two a year and always in a new country. I like how he thinks. (laughs) Yeah. Your podcast has genuinely changed my life forever. Much love and appreciation, Cameron. Wow. Well, much love back to you, Cameron. Congrats on the momentum you've built now. Thanks for the email and keep up the great work. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Now that I'm well on my way, well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Okay, we're going to get into seven important questions that'll help you evaluate your training. So we're excited to dig in. This is going to be a real nuts and bolts kind of episode. And we've been thinking about how we help clients. When a client comes to us, they always have you know a, a goal in mind. And we start with kind of evaluating what they're currently doing. And then the coaches start to make tweaks. Uh, it's very rare that we have to start from scratch. Like usually people are doing a lot of things right, have a running base already, but they might feel stuck. Or maybe they have a real ambitious goal they're training for, or maybe they're dealing with injury. So the coach will start to make adjustments And when you do something long enough, you start to notice patterns. That's with any job, right? I remember I used to cut hair at a a boy's home. And everywhere I looked, I could see who needed a haircut. (laughs) (laughs) Like your eyes just train in on it, right? So if you do something long enough, you start to notice patterns. And a coach can look over your training and see the patterns. And the patterns manifest as sometimes red flags, uh, gaps in the training, things that are out of adjustment. Many runners, like I mentioned, are doing a lot of things right. And so sometimes it's just a few key tweaks and accountability to get them where they want to go. So if we use like a machine analogy, these are like the levers that you can use to fine tune the machine. And we'll formulate these in the form of questions so you can think about uh, your own training and apply this to yourself. So seven questions to ask yourself to evaluate your training. I'm going to kick it over to Coach Angie since she's a running coach and uh, has done over 70 marathons. So Coach Angie, take it away. Question number one. Number one, are you running your easy days easy and your hard days hard? So I find that a lot of runners have trouble keeping their easy runs at a truly easy pace. Many runners fall into what I call a gray zone in their intensity. This is kind of a comfort zone for them of running where you feel like you're making progress, but it's often doing the opposite. I mean, it's really easy to do. I've done it before I really started learning about heart rate training and not realizing that every run you're not supposed to push yourself. (laughs) So a lot of people wonder like, what is the point of easy runs? I found a good Runner's World article And the author was Dan Berglund, and he says, quote, on easy days, you're using mostly slow twitch muscle fibers. They have a higher density of mitochondria, high levels of aerobic enzymes, and a greater capillary density than fast twitch fibers, which are more involved in higher intensity training. On easy days, you increase mitochondria and capillaries and blood flow to those muscles, so they're better able to utilize oxygen. Without that, you can't do the intense runs. So basically, truly easy runs help your body burn fat as energy and allow you to recover for those harder workouts. So they're very important to set you up to be able to run harder and to run faster, run at goal pace, whatever your goal is. Paradoxically, you have to slow down in order to get faster, and this really trips a lot of people up. Um, If you look at most elite runners training, they do their easy runs two to three minutes slower than race pace, sometimes even slower than that. 
And for the non-elite runner, your easy run pace may be one to three minutes slower than race pace, depending on what you're training for. So let's say you're aiming for a four-hour marathon, which is a very popular goal. Race pace is going to be approximately 9.07 per mile or five minutes, 40 seconds per kilometer. So your easy pace will likely be 11 to 12 minutes per mile or 6.50 to 7.30 per kilometer, which is going to feel very slow. So a good way to make sure that you're truly running easy is to use a heart rate monitor because everyone is different. Figure out what constitutes zone two on your watch or phone, whatever device you use, and you can set up alerts that notify you when you're out of the desired heart rate. When you're out of the desired heart rate, this may require that you integrate walk breaks to stay within the easy zone, which can be humbling and maybe like mess with you psychologically a little bit but it's very important to keep those easy runs truly easy. So you have to really go into those easy runs with the correct mindset so that you don't turn it into like an ego battle or, you know, I'm going to run this all no matter what. We're going to dive into speed work more specifically in another question, but the easy days easy, the hard days hard philosophy applies to training outside of running too. So you try to pair hard run days with heavier strength days and easier run days with easier cross training so that your body is truly able to recover on those easy days. So as a coach, did you find that most of the clients... Hard days was not the problem for them. They were they already had hard days. They liked hard days. They were pushing hard. They needed more easy days. I would say there wasn't the correct balance. Um, like people were not able to go as hard as they had the potential to on their hard days because they didn't give themselves the ideal easy days and recovery in between. So like I said, there's that gray zone. I would look at people's data, whether it was on Strava or Garmin, and all of their runs kind of fell into this middle zone and just very similar paces for everything. Yeah. And so then you know like, oh, this person is probably not going to make the gains that they want to see because they're just running all of their mileage at the similar pace and intensity. Yeah. And a good training plan should tell you easy run this day, easy run that day, boom, speed workout. Yep. So the marathon training plans that we have over at MTA will include easy runs. They will include pace specific long runs if they're one of the time goal plans, but it's really that balance that's important. All right. So number one, are your easy days easy and your hard days hard? Number two, are you running the right number of days for your body? It's so important to know your running threshold and not push too far above it. It's really easy to look at a running friend or a runner who you admire, maybe follow on social media and see what they're doing and then base the number of running days that you do off of what they do. But the, you know, quote unquote, more is better mindset can be a really easy trap to fall into. We often run to de-stress mentally and emotionally and running helps you clear your head and boost your energy. And so sometimes it seems like more of a good thing is better. But if you start to notice signs of under-recovery or nagging injuries, you may be pushing past your running threshold. And under-recovery can lead to overtraining, and that's the number one cause of chronic injury. Um, Overtraining is where your exercise level is too much for your body to deal with. So here are some signs to watch out for that you may be kind of getting into that danger zone. Uh, That would include a chronically elevated resting heart rate, sleep disturbances, changes in your menstrual cycle, chronic aches and pains, mood disturbances, changes in appetite, lacking motivation, feeling tired all the time, and getting sick frequently. 
I often recommend that new runners or anyone who is coming back from injury or an extended time off run three days per week, allowing a day between runs for lower impact training, like especially strength training. Then as your fitness and capacity grows, you'll likely be able to safely increase the number of days you run per week. So yeah, when you trained for your first marathon, you were doing like five, six days of running per week. And that wasn't good for your body at the time. It wasn't. And I I was doing it all in that gray zone. I did not (laughs) properly strength train, recover. You know, it was a mess, basically. (laughs) Our bodies change over time too, right? So there might be a different answer to this question now than uh, there will be in the future. Yeah, exactly. I would say even three years ago, my capacity for training and recovery was different than it is now. So you definitely go through different phases of life and really have to accept where you're at right now and work with that. We're both running the Tokyo Marathon in March for the charity Room to Read. Uh, So how many days per week do you think uh, on average you're going to be running as you build up for Tokyo? I will be running like four days a week, I think, and then probably doing a couple of hiking days a week because I really love my hikes and don't want to give them up (laughs) Um, and definitely be integrating probably four days of strength training as well in there. How do you count the hiking? Like, how do you classify that? Um, For me, it generally falls in more of an easy day because of where my heart rate stays during the hike. Okay. You know, obviously it depends on the type of hike that you're doing um, and the intensity that you go about it. (laughs) You know, sometimes I will trail run and I'm going to count that as one of my runs, but it all depends on where my heart rate and effort level falls, whether I classify it as an easy day or a hard day. Question number three, are you allowing enough rest and recovery time? Yes, this is really a hard one to grasp, especially for newer runners or people who are really super driven. But rest and recovery are just as important as the actual training. In fact, you can only improve as a runner to the extent that you can recover. So let that sink in for a moment. I'm going to say it again. You can only improve as a runner to the extent that you can recover. And I think if you keep that in mind, it's going to really inform how you train and how you look at rest days. Um, I encourage aiming for one day of rest per week where you don't do any high impact training or long exercise. Now, obviously, mobility activity is good. A gentle walk, a gentle bike ride, mobility stretching is generally fine. Um, I find it's really great if you can also sleep in on your rest day to allow your body to catch up on sleep too. I would say most of us are chronically underslept (laughs) yeah you know we have to get up and get to work get in our run before work get the kids up and get to school you know it's just like often our lives are so overscheduled. so I think it's really important to be able to catch up on sleep if you can Um, also consider incorporating foam rolling stretching massage and extra sleep into your routine to help your muscles recover Like I was just saying, if you've been shortchanging yourself on sleep, try to figure out how to get at least seven hours a night. And many people need more during heavy training or during stressful periods of life. And I know it seems challenging to get more sleep, (laughs) Um, but remember that life stresses also play into how your body recovers. If you feel like you're coming down with sickness, which I feel like is really pertinent this time of year because there's so much stuff going around, it's probably wise to prioritize extra sleep instead of pushing yourself through your fitness routine. Research has shown that endurance athletes who sleep for under seven hours a night are 50% more likely to get injured over only a two-week period. That number increases to over 70% in adolescence. And having teenagers myself, I know they do not get enough sleep often. It's hard to make them go to bed at night. (laughs) 
Um, furthermore, research has also shown that athletes who are sleep deprived tend to get exhausted 11% sooner than those who slept well. Also, it's been proven that working out will feel harder if you're sleep deprived. I'm really good at taking rest days, thankfully. I mean, I take like maybe four four rest days a week. <laughs> you're really good at sleeping in too. <laughs> I'm also really good at flawlessly transitioning to an ad. So big thanks to our sponsor, Sidekick. How'd you like that, Angie? Sidekick tool, speaking of recovery, they do make foam rollers. Every runner should have a foam roller at home. And they also make muscle scraping tools. That sounds painful, but it's more painful if you go to the PT and they do it to you probably. (laughs) Sidekick develops recovery tools for runners so you can heal from your injury quicker. You can catch things before they become injuries and you can get back to doing what you love. Uh, We've been talking about how runners often ignore red flags and keep training through pain until it develops into an injury. Uh, Muscle scraping therapy works by breaking up blocked vessels to heal stress tissues in your body. And it's something that I use frequently. I, I have a foot that tends to flare up with plantar fasciitis every once in a while. And I keep using my sidekick tool when I notice the first hints of it. And it does not get to the point where it is debilitating, which is very important. Go to sidekicktool.com slash MTA. You can get 15% off your order. Sidekicktool.com slash MTA for 15% off. And thanks also to AG1. Angie, you were talking about how there's uh, this time of year stuff going around. Uh, AG1 is awesome for boosting your immune system. And they make these handy little travel packs that if you were going to, I don't know, say like maybe take a 10-day road trip with your sister to Montana, you might want to take these uh, travel packs with you. (laughs) You better believe it. I am actually leaving with my sister to go to Montana on Saturday. So my AG1 packets are going to be one of the first things that I put in my bag. I always drink AG1 in the morning before anything else, and it's really nice to know that I'm doing something good for my body, like covering my nutritional bases. And I know, especially when I'm on the road, it's really difficult to eat enough fresh, healthy food. (laughs) Man, ain't that the truth? That's when AG1 comes in really clutch. (laughs) You sounded like our teenagers. Sorry, it rubs off. (laughs) Coming in clutch for the AG1. So get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, and you can get five travel packs for free as well with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash MTA. That's drinkag1.com slash MTA. So the fourth question is, are you doing regular core and strength training? That's right. Uh, We talk about strength training a lot at MTA because it is so important. Consider how running is a single leg activity. So during each stride, only one foot is in contact with the ground. And when you run, your weight is going to shift from one leg to the other. So each leg has to support your entire body weight. This means that each leg has to generate and absorb force differently, which requires specific strength, stability, and coordination. So to improve as a runner requires that you build strength and stability in your major muscle groups and the accessory muscles, tendons, bones, and ligaments. It's a very complex process that we often take for granted. I've noticed an increased amount of focus on strength training within the running community within the past three to five years. I think it's awesome and it's because it works. Um, Elite runners make strength work a priority to help prevent injury, build power and endurance, and they're not using light weights either. There are numerous studies that show that heavy lifting is beneficial for distance runners of all levels. So obviously, you know, you need to start light, but don't be afraid to lift heavy weights. So it's important to start where you are, build up strength incrementally so that it's a regular part of your routine. 
And your strength training should be periodized just like your running. So it's important to take step down weeks and taper down strength training as your race day approaches. Yeah, uh, we actually built a strength training program last year. It was put together by Coach Nicole and Coach Chris. We rented a local gym here and shot all the videos and Nicole does all the demonstrations. And Nicole designed it to pair with a training plan, like a 16-week marathon training plan. So there are step-back weeks and there's a taper uh, because you don't want to be, you know, strength training hard, boom, right before a marathon. Like you're not going to do leg day three days, two days before your marathon. (laughs) Not if you want to have a good race. (laughs) (laughs) So are you doing regular core and strength training? And number five, are you doing any kind of speed work? That's right. The type and amount of speed work that you do will depend on your fitness level and your goals. And it's really important that speed work be intentional. Um, I know in the beginning, runners can often feel intimidated by how fast the prescribed paces are on many training plans. I know I've looked through a marathon plan before and thought, there's no way I can run that fast. It's kind of like looking forward in your syllabus, you know, (laughs) with a college course and like, whoa, you know, how am I going to do that? Uh, But when you're truly fulfilling the purpose of each workout, you'll have more to give on hard days and you will see your confidence grow. So to get faster, you're going to need to strategically incorporate intervals such as strides and hill repeats in the first part of your training plan, then tempo runs, threshold runs, and marathon pace runs in the later weeks. This is going to improve your lactate threshold. That's the point during exercise at which your body's production of lactate begins to increase more rapidly than its ability to clear it from the bloodstream. In addition, speed work also helps improve form, efficiency, it stimulates fast twitch muscle fibers, gives you a stronger stride, and will help you work on mental stamina. We recently heard from a client named Emily who talks about the benefits of adding speed work to her training. And she was working with Coach Abby. She says, I went from only focusing on weekly mileage and running six days a week while lifting full force during training cycles to doing tempo and speed workouts on my local track. And she had an original goal to run Chicago in 345, but had a really good half marathon in her buildup and started focusing on a 330 goal to get qualified for Boston. And she had a great day at Chicago, finished in 326 and qualified for Boston, set that 17 minute PR. So she's really talking about how being intentional with multiple parts of her training, you know, running days per week, her strength training and focus speed work was really key to getting that PR for her. Yeah. If you're going out for a BQ, a Boston qualifier, you're going to have to do speed work. There's just no way around it. You know, I mean, there's some very genetically gifted people who just kind of run a marathon and and qualify for Boston the first time around. But I would say 99.9% of people will have to do speed work to improve in the marathon, reach their goals like qualifying for Boston or PRing or, you know, what have you. Speed work makes the dream work. So we're talking about seven questions that you can use to evaluate your training. Uh, The sixth question is, is your nutrition dialed in? I found myself saying dialed in a lot. I think we probably didn't say that like three years ago. I think it's another slang that we've kind of picked up from our kids. I don't know. (laughs) I like it though. Because I think think of like a machine, adjusting the knobs and dials on a machine. Well, our bodies are far more complex and nuanced than machines. That is true. (laughs) But it is important to make sure that you're eating a balanced diet that includes carbohydrates, protein, and healthy fats, and of course, plenty of water during the day. 
Eating balanced macros at regular intervals is going to give you better energy in daily life and for your workouts. Trying to balance extended fasting, whether it's intentional or unintentional, with training can have a detrimental effect on your hormones and your metabolism. So eating well-balanced meals and snacks on a regular basis also helps eliminate feeling deprived and then subsequently binging on foods that you don't want to be eating in large amounts. So it may be helpful to work with a nutrition coach or a dietitian if you want to decrease body fat. The Journal of Applied Psychology found that a 5% reduction in body weight improved running economy or the amount of oxygen needed to run at a given speed in trained distance runners. Now, obviously, weight loss is not beneficial for already lean people, and there's a difference between losing muscle versus losing fat, and it's really important to evaluate that carefully because if you try to lose weight and you're already very lean, you can throw yourself into under-recovery and injury by not eating enough to support your activity levels. So that's why it's very helpful to work with someone who knows what they're doing. For me, working with MetPro was one of the things that helped me dial in my nutrition and eventually get my marathon PR and, you know, feel great while doing it. How did they help you get your nutrition dial in? Do you remember some of the changes that you made? You probably were not eating enough carbs for the amount of uh, exercise you wanted to do. Yeah, and I wasn't being strategic about eating my macros. I would often go too long between meals. Then I would get super hungry and then I would like inhale everything in the vicinity. (laughs) And then, you know, then I would go another long period without eating, just being busy. And I don't know, sometimes life gets away from you. And so being intentional about having certain macros to hit for breakfast, for a mid-morning snack, for lunch, for an afternoon snack, for dinner, and you don't get those peaks and troughs in your energy levels. Yeah, you've heard us talk about MetPro. They've been an awesome sponsor of ours. You can actually get on a free consultation call with them. Uh, find out how it works, metpro.co slash MTA. Another awesome sponsor we want to take a second to thank is Oladance. Still the best earbuds we've ever had, and we've had a lot. And a lot of them are great. You know, a lot of them we like, but these things, the battery lasts so long. The sound is amazing, and they don't actually go in your ears. It allows you, A, to hear what's going on around you, and B, to listen to more content without your ears getting tired. That's right. I think the biggest selling point for me is the comfort because I do tend to listen to a lot of audio and I actually sometimes forget I'm wearing them and I'll like go to adjust my hair and be like, oh, my earbud's still up there. Like I had, you know, paused my audio, got distracted. So they're truly comfortable. They're a secure fit that stays firm on your ears. And then the sound is amazing. Like I kind of didn't realize that some of my previous earbuds had pretty crappy sound until I got these. (laughs) (laughs) So I love that about them. And like Trevor, you mentioned the battery life. Like I don't remember the last time I charged mine. I probably should charge them before my trip. (laughs) Um, Don't forget to bring your charger. Exactly. Just go to oladance.com. Use the code MTA20 to save 20% on the OWS1 and OWS2. Oladance.com, MTA20 for 20% off. Quick review, Angie, before we hit the final one. Uh, question number one, are you running your easy days easy and your hard days hard? Number two, are you running the right number of days for your body? Number three, are you allowing enough rest and recovery time? Number four, are you doing regular core and strength training? Number five, Are you doing speed work? Number six, is your nutrition dialed in? Number seven, is your fueling dialed in? This is another big mystery for a lot of people. (laughs) That's right. Last but not least, in order to hit your goal time, you'll need to maintain race pace without bonking or having an energy crash. 
And if you've run long enough, raced long enough, you will have had this happen and you'll never want it to happen again. Um, So in order to get your fueling dialed in, you need to work out your fueling strategy before race day so you know what fuels and hydration your stomach can easily digest on the run. A nutrition coach once told me, quote, fuel that you don't take can't help you. Yeah, I was just thinking, Angie, like we talk about fueling a lot and sometimes I'm like, well, I think these people have already heard this, but we literally, (laughs) we literally talk to new runners all the time. And we'll ask him, how did your marathon go? It's like, oh, I don't know, I kind of suffered. Well, what did you do for fuel? I think I maybe had like one gel, two gels. And that was it. Yeah. For a whole marathon. Yeah, which is fine if that's the strategy that works for you that you've practiced with. But, you know, just kind of a haphazard approach, which many of us had in the beginning. I remember my first marathon not having a fueling plan going in, just randomly taking sports drink from the aid stations and you know, really my energy suffering as I look back now and, you know, and then trying to figure out like, okay, how can I do this better? Practicing with different things and having a strategy that worked for a couple of marathons. And then suddenly at mile 16, my stomach was rejecting it, couldn't take in any fuel. Like it can be a long, hard process basically is what I'm trying to say. If you want to perform well in a marathon, one gel isn't going to cut it. You're going to need a really dialed in routine. Could be one gel an hour is what you need. And it seems so simple, but it's easy to get behind on your fueling. And then trying to play catch up isn't fun and may prevent you from sticking to your goal pace. You know, it's like one of those things, if you are trying to run a specific pace and you don't pay attention to your energy needs, then, you know, your body is going to start shutting things down. And, you know, there's a certain mind over matter that you can do, but at some point your legs are going to feel like lead weights (laughs) and you will be like giving all your effort and feeling like you're still at turtle pace. So long runs are the perfect time to practice your race day fueling and hydration strategy. This strategy includes what type of fuels to take, how much, when, and how to carry them. Most runners end up using a different fueling product than what is offered on race day at the aid stations. So it's important to be able to carry your fuels efficiently, practice getting them out, and using them easily, of course, without GI upset. (laughs) If you do plan on using the fuels the race provides, make sure you practice with them in advance, even trying out the flavors they'll be offering. Because maybe pina colada isn't going to taste good at mile 20. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think a pina colada would taste good. But pina colada gel is a whole different story. (laughs) I'm not picking on that one in particular. But I've kind of like scratched my head at some of the flavors that are offered at marathons. Like who thought that would taste good after mile 20? Anyway, it's amazing how unpalatable some fueling products can taste at 16 miles into your marathon. I know this by personal experience, and it's so much better to have a fueling strategy dialed in to know that your stomach is going to be able to accept it and know exactly how much you're going to take when, how you're going to carry it. All that is very important. Yeah. We, of course, use uh, You Can. I definitely echo everything Angie said. Um, If you just run a 5K Maybe take a gel before you go and then boom, you're good. A marathon, you're going to have to have calories. It's just simple science. And your body size is going to dictate how many calories you need to take and your effort, the heat. And I guess under fueling, we could also include hydration. Back during the first running boom, uh, you heard on our last episode, uh, Catherine Switzer talk about, they just started and there were no aid stations in the 60s. I don't think people knew you were supposed to drink water. (laughs) (laughs) 
Somehow they did it. Well, it's amazing what the human body is capable of. But, you know, you don't want to be like on the edge of survival. You want to be thriving during your marathon. That's right. And reaching your goals and not being on a major struggle bus if you don't have to. Well, we actually have now a bonus question. So question number eight, and we wrote this after we realized that we got through our first seven questions really quick. So here's the question. Is your running form efficient? And I would say this is important. It might not be as critical as some of the other questions that we want you to ask yourself. We do help clients improve their running form, and it's easier these days, you know, with video and stuff uh, to do it virtually. If your running form is off, It can cause injuries down your kinetic chain. So we thought, you know, this is something for you to definitely think about. That's right. Good form can minimize the risk of injuries that can derail your training and race goals, especially as you get to the marathon distance and beyond. Your form is really important. A really great book on this topic is called Your Best Stride, How to Optimize Your Natural Running Form to Run Easier, Farther, and Faster with Fewer Injuries. And that is by Jonathan Beverly. Yeah, we had him on the podcast back when he uh, released the book. I guess one thing that I learned from that book is sort of the science has changed about running form. Jonathan's take was that everyone's stride is unique, right? Yeah, that's right. In fact, on page 23, he quotes David McHenry, who is a physical therapist and strength coach, and it says, quote, more often than not, I see foot strike as simply being the end result of so many other things that are happening further up the kinetic chain. The foot is really just the end of a big kinetic whip, the leg. Core and hips are where every runner should be starting if they're really concerned with optimizing their form, maximizing their speed, and minimizing injury potential. So here are some signs of inefficient running form. The first one is overstriding. If your feet land well ahead of your center of gravity, you're likely overstriding. Your foot should ideally land beneath your body, promoting a more efficient push-off. Then there's inconsistent cadence. An inconsistent or slow cadence, and that's steps per minute, can indicate suboptimal form. Marathoners should strive for a consistent and efficient cadence, typically between 170 to 180 steps per minute. And there will be variations depending on the runner. Um, But it's good to evaluate your cadence and just see where you fall. The third issue can be heel striking. Landing on your heel first can cause a jarring impact with the ground. And for many years, it was really thought that this increased the risk of injury. Now, heel strikers do use less ankle motion, which may impact the shins, knees, and hips. However, forefoot striking can lead to Achilles issues, calf, ankle, and foot issues. So rather than focusing excessively on your foot strike, improving your overall form by eliminating overstriding and increasing your cadence will help limit the impact of ground forces, and it will increase your efficiency. Another issue is excessive vertical oscillation. Excessive up and down motion while running, often referred to as bouncing, is a sign of poor running economy. I have definitely seen people in marathons going up and down like that. And you can definitely run like that and run faster than me, so I'm not judging. But (laughs) uh, you just think about like how much energy is used to go up and down versus straight forward. You want to put all the energy into going forward, 
not going up and down or swinging your legs out far. I mean, I've seen all kinds of unique uh, running strides that I think um, a running coach would definitely zero in on if they were doing a gait analysis. The bouncing motion can often be caused by overstriding and low cadence again. So those are two things that come up a lot. Um, you should be aiming for a more level and stable body position by keeping your stride short and quick. And if you look at elite runners, they almost look like they're gliding forward. In fact, it hardly looks like they're putting that much effort into their running form. In, in terms of the upper body. Yes. Like above you know, the waist. everything, they look very calm. They look very relaxed, you know, very efficient. There's not a lot of movement from side to side or up and down. Yeah. And so they're getting the most efficiency out of their stride. And so it often looks like they're not going as fast as they are. But if you were trying to run alongside them, you would just see, you know, how efficient they are as runners. Definitely. And so another issue could be poor posture. And I know in the book, Jonathan Beverly talks a lot about running tall. So he would talk about, you know, shoulders back, kind of push your hips a little bit forward. He used to coach cross country and maybe still does. He would have his runners put a PVC pipe behind their back, tuck through their arms and practice running like that to feel what it means to run tall. Or maybe a dowel or something. Yeah, exactly. But it really makes sense. If, you're, if your chest is upright and open, that's going to increase your lung capacity. Whereas if you're slouched and hunched forward, that's going to affect your breathing. And it's going to hinder your overall running efficiency. So think about running tall. Also be careful of excessive arm movement. The way you swing your arms can affect your balance and your overall running economy. So you want your arms to swing naturally, your elbows driving back, staying relatively close to your body. So you want to avoid your arms coming forward to cross in midline in front of you. So you don't want a lot of torso rotation or really any torso ro rotation. And you want to avoid like your elbows kind of flaring out to the sides, like the wing effect, <laughs> unless you're trail running downhill, kind of having your arms out a little bit can increase your balance. But generally, you want to avoid excessive arm movement. And the same goes with your running stride. You want to avoid your feet crossing over the center line of your body when you run. This can create instability and reduce your efficiency. Your feet should land relatively parallel to each other. And sometimes you can kind of tell how your feet land by looking at the wear patterns on your shoes. So that can be kind of a, a cue that you're not landing very efficiently on your feet. Another big issue is pronation. Now pronation is a normal motion in the foot where the foot rolls inward just after landing. However, an excessive outward pronation, which is called supination, or excessive inward rotation called overpronation of your feet can indicate poor form. Uh, correcting abnormal foot movements on landing can be done through strengthening and stretching the calf, ankle, and foot. If you have severe pronation issues, that should be evaluated by a podiatrist and it may require orthotics. And probably once again, you can kind of tell by the wear patterns on your shoe. Yeah, exactly. If you're having pain or discomfort persistently during or after runs, that could indicate that your form is causing strain on certain muscles or joints, and that may require the help of a physical therapist or a coach who specializes in running form. And finally, excessive muscle tension. Running with tight, clenched muscles can lead to inefficiencies and cause early fatigue. And I mean, it seems kind of like... Duh. If you, but it's something to evaluate while you're running, and you would be surprised at how much tension you can hold in your body while you run. So it's important to relax your muscles and maintain a fluid running style as much as possible. Yeah, and you can see people after mile 20 in a marathon, they just look way more tense. You can see it in their face. If your face is tense, it probably indicates there's tension throughout the body as well. 
you can do a mental head-to-toe checklist while you're out running. And if you practice this enough, like, you know, once or twice on every run, it's going to come more naturally. And when you're in a race and you're trying to perform really well, you'll find that a relaxed, better running form comes more naturally. You won't have to think about it. So I like to think about, of course, your gaze being forward, you know, so keep your head up, gaze forward. You don't want your gaze like looking down at the ground. Again, unless you're trail running and you've got to be checking out the trail, but (laughs) keep that gaze forward. Make sure your jaw is not clenched. So just kind of like shake out your jaw or open your mouth. Um, Also, shoulders relaxed. You don't want your shoulders hunched towards your ears. And you'd be surprised how your shoulders start creeping up as you get fatigued. Um, So one way to make sure your shoulders are not hunched up is just kind of like shake out your arms. Just, you know, totally relax your shoulders, shake out your arms. You can do that every mile. Um, if you feel like it. And that kind of keeps the tension out of your shoulders. Again, make sure that your movement is driven forward with your hips. Keep your steps short and quick. And that's kind of a good head-to-toe scan you can do um, that will help you down the road because it'll become more natural. And of course, I always come back to strength training, regular strength training, including doing one-leg movements that help improve balance are going to improve your overall strength and running form. And you can get a coach to analyze your running form if you're wondering if it's off, if you're just having these persistent issues that keep cropping up and you're wondering if your form is to blame. And like Trevor said, it's easy to do these days with video. We have a couple coaches on the team who are really skilled at doing that. So let us know if that's something that might interest you. Okay, there's the bonus question. Is your running form efficient? And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. I hope this was a big help. Uh, You can kind of use these questions to self-diagnose maybe some weak areas or gaps in your training. Of course, there are more questions that could be asked, but these are pretty common issues that we see. Uh, Runners come to us and we start to adjust the knobs. Going back to our machine analogy, to fine-tune the machine, it's a process. You know, It takes some time, but at least you'll know where the dials are so you can get dialed in. If you'd like to dig deeper on your uh, unique situation and goals, you can always jump on a call with Coach Nicole. She's our head coach, super knowledgeable and experienced as a coach and also as a runner. You can get on a free call with her and she'll tell you about our coaching program and also talk about what your goals are for next year. You can do that over at MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. We'd also love to have you as an Academy member. We've got training plans, strength training program, nutrition course, a lot of the stuff that will help you tweak the dials on your own if you want to go that route, marathontrainingacademy.com. And we always love hearing from you. Feel free to shoot us an email or a message on Facebook anytime. Always love to hear your stories. Until next time, keep taking action. Remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way, right on my-